Hello and welcome to Vibrant Lives Podcast, formerly Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to health and well-being, featuring interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical health and mental health, and my five-minute food fact series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a lawyer turned nutritionist. I have a deep curiosity about living a healthy, active and fulfilling life, which I would call a vibrant life and sharing what I learn with you on this podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I will note that, although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Vibrant Lives podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure or prevent injuries or medical conditions, and it is never a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today I am here with Professor Alison Coates. Alison is a registered nutritionist in Allied Health and Human Performance at the University of South Australia, and she has roles in both teaching and research. Alison's research is multidisciplinary, and she has numerous roles, including being the director of the Alliance for Research in Exercise, Nutrition and Activity, or ARENA, Research Centre. She's a member of Behaviour Brain Body Research Concentration at the University of South Australia, plus she teaches human nutrition at university. Broadly over the years, Alison's research has focused on dietary strategies to improve cardiovascular, metabolic and cognitive function. She's also been involved in numerous clinical trials. She is currently the president of the Nutrition Society of Australia, which is how I have come across Alison and she serves on the editorial board of the Journals of Nutrients and the Nutrition Journal. As you can gather from that, she's a very busy woman. Today we're going to talk about what the Nutrition Society of Australia does, what does a nutritionist do, and then we are going to focus on the health benefits of nuts, which is the subject of one of Alison's current trials. Hi, Alison. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. So, Alison, your career in nutrition sounds really interesting. And just from reading your bio on the University of South Australia website, it really seems to me that your career is also your passion. You're very involved in the world of nutrition. So let's talk about how you got where you are. So as an undergraduate, you completed an honours degree in science, followed by a PhD in nutritional sorry, nutritional physiology, So what prompted you to do your PhD in nutritional physiology and what was your research topic there? So it was one of those those moments in life where I think I fell into a topic and I was pretty lucky that what I chose ended up being something I loved. So as an undergraduate, I um, majored in both physiology and pharmacology. And in physiology, we were really lucky. We got to... uh, start understanding about experimental research Mm -hmm. we got to design projects where we had human volunteers come in and and understand research design and through that um, there was a project that came up at CSIRO human nutrition and so I thought that sounds pretty cool I'll go and have a chat with the team over there and see what the project was all about So my honours project, first of all, was looking at dietary fat intake in people with asthma and whether if you manipulated the quality of the fat that people consumed, if you 
could improve asthma symptoms. And I, I just loved it. It was a way that you could think about physiological mechanisms. You understood that the role and the importance of quality of nutrition and it all just came together with understanding mechanism and it was it was fantastic. Wow. So sounds from, interesting. Yeah, it was it was a real light bulb moment for mm. me. And then from there, um, I stayed with the same team at CSIRO and I looked at inflammatory mediators and the role that they play in how our um, body fat, our adipose tissue, uh, is regulated. So there's one particular inflammatory marker called tumor necrosis factor alpha, absolute mouthful, <laughs> but it, it gets abbreviated to TNF alpha. And yes. so my, my whole PhD was focused on this particular little molecule and we looked at um, how it changes with different dietary patterns in weight loss. We looked at its role in people with type 2 diabetes. There were a whole series of different studies that we did. But I was incredibly lucky to be trained in the CSIRO team mm-hmm. who, um, you know, are world leaders in, in nutrition. So I was really lucky to have a really strong training and grounding in nutrition research. Yeah, it sounds like you fell on your feet there. The, the interesting thing I think about researching adipose tissue is that years and years ago it was believed it was just an inert energy storage and it yeah. did nothing but but we now know it's actually metabolically active that's right mm. and this was i mean my phd was in the early days of kind of that world yeah. developing and um, so yeah it was a fascinating time to be looking at these different inflammatory markers and thinking about what they did in circulation where they were produced which you know 20 something years later seems like well of course we know that but at the time we didn't know that And that's one of the things I think that's really interesting about the world of nutrition science. It is, uh, you know, in terms of sciences, it's in quotes, a new science. And so we're always expanding on our knowledge in that area. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. After that, you went to uh, Colorado, I think, the University of Colorado, and where you did a postdoctoral fellowship. So what were you doing over there? So again, I went to an amazing team um, in Denver and we were looking at, so so I stayed in adipose research, slightly left um, from the great world of inflammatory markers to look at a molecule that's involved in fat metabolism and it's an enzyme called lipoprotein lipase. Right. So it's funny, in the research world, we get so focused on this you know, really narrow band of um, information. And so it, in the big picture, it actually wasn't that big of a shift from going from the world of inflammatory markers to this world of lipoprotein lipase. But in reality, it was a very big shift in the literature and understanding. So I worked on a whole series of different models to look at this particular enzyme and what happens to dietary fat. Again, looking at different components of fat and the quality of fat and how this enzyme uh, works in the body. Mm-hmm. And what, what did you find out? <laughs> so LPL is a really complex a very complex enzyme. It it depends on which tissues that you're looking at as to the role that it has. So in simple terms, um, 
I don't know that I can explain it quickly. Oh, don't, uh, don't so, worry. so, so it's one of those things that. Uh, the, the lab that I went into it is a lab that's been working on this enzyme, I would say, probably for 20 years. And so we were looking at if you changed one component or you knocked this enzyme out or you had it knocked out in specific tissues, mm-hmm. what happened to really try and understand um, if people have a deficiency in this enzyme, what would be the implications for their right. health? So it impacts on the way that our cholesterol moves in the body. It impacts on how we store tissue, uh, how we store and release um, different types of fatty acids Mm -hmm. in the body. So there were lots of different elements that we were looking at. Uh, And again, it was one of those laboratory groups that I went to where I, I was working with the world experts in it. So it was incredibly um, lucky role to to be part of um, a great team to work with and, and because it was a mixture of both clinical and more basic research then it really increased my knowledge across the spectrum of nutrition research oh that sounds great sounds like wonderful experience yeah it was yeah and I just have to ask so you were in Colorado did you get to snow ski so we went to the mountains quite a lot but uh you'd be surprised how expensive it still is to ski even when you're located even when you're there even when you're there and that's a shame as as opposed to you're definitely not on a particularly uh illustrious salary (laughs) so it was more playing in the snow rather than the glamorous side of snow skiing well, it's still very beautiful, though. So that was uh, is ama- amazing. And yeah. you know, as an Aussie being used to being by the beach, it definitely feels strange when you're in the middle of a country and not used to that. But those mountains make up for no beach. Let me tell you, yeah. wow, gorgeous, amazing. And so, Alison, these days you teach at the University of South Australia, and you're also involved in several research centres and programs. And we will discuss some of your research, but. You're also currently the president of the NSA or the Nutrition Society of Australia and have been for several years. So let's talk about the NSA. What, what's its mission and what are some of the roles that it plays? Yeah, so um, the Nutrition Society of Australia's mission is really to promote the scientific value and the relevance of nutrition science in Australia. Mm-hmm. And we do we do work with other organisations, um, both in the Pacific region and around the world, but our closest partners are definitely in the Pacific region. And I suppose we're really wanting to make sure that nutrition-related science and industries um, are, are in the forefront. We are trying to advocate for the importance of evidence-based yep. nutrition Um, and making sure that we can support our members to uh, have really a a, a platform to promote their science and to meet uh, together so we have a strong nutrition science community within Australia. Yes, I'm a member of the NSA, which is how I came across Alison, and you do provide excellent um, webinars and there's a lot of things you can participate in as a member and the annual conference as well which is great yes yeah and I think um you know as a honours student I think is when I joined the Nutrition Society originally and it's been a society that's been incredibly supportive of student development and ECR development 
Um, and I think what I'm trying to do in my role as president is make sure that we're giving as much value back to our members as we can and to hear from our members what they would like and opportunities mm -hmm. they'd like, particularly, you know, as we're still in a world where it's not easy to travel and it's not easy to get together face-to-face. -to -face. So how can we uh, increase the opportunities to be able to link virtually and still be able to support all of our members? Yeah, that's great. Well, I think you're doing a really good job. The The last um, annual conference was in December last mm. year and that was all virtual. It was. That was that was a real uh, steep learning curve for us. Um, in the past, we've only done face-to-face -face conferences, okay. but I think we've had really positive feedback from our members and in the world where we're forced to try new things, such as a virtual conference, um, it definitely showed us that there is so many opportunities to improve our communication throughout the year, not just at the annual mm. conference. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really exciting time for the society. It's, um, it's one of those things that the way that our terms work as president is we have two years as the um, president-elect mm. and in those roles we're really involved in running the scientific conference and working with the local team two years as president and then two years as immediate past president. So it does feel a little bit strange that my two years as president, it's going to be predominantly in a virtual world. Yeah. Um, so, but it's also, I think, the importance of making sure that we still can communicate really clearly with our members. Yes, as a consumer of the conference, it, it really worked well. It, yeah, so you, you got it right. Well done. Thank you. That is wonderful feedback. <laughs> Tell us, Alison, what do registered nutritionists do? What's their so, role? So, yeah, so we have this scheme as part of um, the Nutrition Society to try and help our members and members of the public uh, understand when they're looking for someone who has a nutrition background, how they know if that person might have perhaps a stronger training background mm -hmm. in nutrition than perhaps somebody else. And look, there are certainly many nutrition um, people who have not signed up for to be registered and they still have excellent qualifications, but this is a scheme that we've put in place. So our registered scheme is one where people apply, it's based on their individual application. So we look at their training history, through university, we look at the subjects that they have done. And then we also look at either their research or their work history. Um, in a research world, we look at quality of publications, we look at number of publications, and we look at the currency of knowledge as well. So if it is perhaps people have done a degree a long time ago, but they haven't necessarily kept up in that space, then they'd be encouraged to make sure they had current uh, development, professional yeah. development. It is a scheme that is based on the UK model of mm -hmm. registration. And this has come about because in Australia, the term nutritionist is not one that is registered itself. Yeah. And that can cause quite a lot of um, variation mm -hmm. in the roles that people play and how people call themselves a nutritionist. Yeah. So it's it's a really tricky space to navigate and we're trying to do everything we can to support our members uh, and, and the public to understand yeah. where to come to to find 
solid evidence-based nutrition information. Yeah, it's a, it's like a quality assurance scheme. A little bit, ways, yeah. Because yeah. if someone's registered with the NSA, you know they've met certain rigorous standards. That's right. And now we don't accredit courses um, in different disciplines. That is a really normal thing in many allied health professions, but we don't do that. We are a volunteer organisation right. uh, rather than, and we we have people that join us, but it's not that we have the capacity to look at individual courses. So rather we look at individual applications. Yeah. And within the registered nutritionist scheme, people can apply to become an associate nutritionist. So this is where they've perhaps finished their degree and they're still ongoing in their training or work development. We have the full category of registered nutritionist and then that is broken down further into registered animal nutritionist and registered public health nutritionist. So again, just where people have got that specialty. Yeah, wow, animal nutritionist. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and like our, our society has a long history of working across kind of both human and animal nutrition and understanding I suppose really at the heart of it has been the physiological mechanism of how these nutrients work within the body, the importance of um, having a balanced diet, what happens yeah. when there are deficiencies, how do we avoid toxicities. Yeah. Mm. So the whole spectrum is important to the way that we understand the role of nutrients. Yes. The other thing I think that would be interesting for our listeners is that there is often in the public perception a, a confusion between the role of dietitians and registered nutritionists. And obviously their skill set overlaps to some extent or to quite a large extent actually. But for clarification, what are some of the differences? It is tricky. Um, I suppose one of the things that we try and um talk to our members about and and this can be found on the nsa website as well is that a nutritionist is a is a, a role where people can provide advice um, around healthy eating around the role of food and the way it impacts on health whereas a dietitian can absolutely do all of that but a dietitian is trained in clinical management of a person's health, particularly if they have an ongoing uh, condition. Mm -hmm. So they're taught around prescribing dietary treatment and ongoing monitoring of clinical symptoms. Yeah. And, and I think for me that's really an important difference because we the competencies that we look at when people become registered is not looking at their clinical competencies. It's looking at the science that underpins um, their nutrition knowledge. Yeah. And, and I think for me, that's a really clear definition. So we have lots of members who are absolutely at the um, elites in this world of looking yeah. at mechanism between nutrition and different health conditions but the clinical piece is what I would say is a really important distinction for a dietitian. So a dietitian's more likely to work with, I guess, a medical team if someone has a diagnosed problem like well, diabetes or um, Crohn's disease or something That's like that. That's right. That's mm. right. And, and to use nutrition very much as a therapeutic tool. So whilst 
you know, if you were looking to make sure that people were having a sufficiency of nutrients when there is a clinical condition, mm-hmm. you would want to make sure that the person understands all the physiology behind it, but also the way to intervene and to think about um, if medications might interfere or to think about yeah. how to work as part of a holistic allied health team and to think about the clinical interaction with with their client. Absolutely. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're treating a human. That's right. <laughs> and everyone's different and may respond differently. So you do have to, you know, keep that in mind or at the forefront of your mind. Absolutely. And look, I think within nutrition, you know, this is still a fairly small world in Australia. Yes. And I, I hope that our societies can work closely together that is our goal so um, we very much want to both advocate for um, evidence-based information being behind everything that is communicated to the general public there is a big push through the decadal plan from the academy of sciences around the trusted voice in nutrition and Dietitians Australia, Nutrition Society of Australia, Public Health Association of Australia and, and other organisations are working together to make sure that we are consistent in our messaging. Yeah, well, that's great to hear because I think sort of underpinning everything is evidence-based nutrition. That's right. So and important. It's so important. And we know it can be really confusing for the general yeah. public and, you know, knowing how they know what to trust and where to trust and where to find solid information. So one of the one of the big projects that we're working on is trying to streamline information, trying to make sure that people can see where information has come from just to help make that a little bit easier. Yeah, well, that sounds really good. I mean, it is so important as a consumer of information to know that you're getting reading credible information and it's come from a... Um, you know, a source that has the right um, qualifications and... That's right. Very important. Alison, I just want to sidestep a little bit because um, recently in the news, it's become pretty clear in Australia that um, professional women are not always recorded the respect they deserve and, and sometimes even worse, they're disrespected or even abused and there's been a lot of media about this in Australia at the moment. And it's I don't actually want to talk about that issue per se because I don't think we can do it justice in, you know, a few short comments. But what I do want to ask is, in your opinion, what are the career opportunities and barriers, if any, for women entering the field of nutritional science? Yeah, it's a, it is a tricky topic. Yeah. <laughs> and you're right, it has it has taken a lot of time and attention in the media in the last few weeks. Um, my experience in the nutrition field has been incredibly positive. We have a large proportion of our members in NSA uh, who are women. Mm-hmm. I have been very fortunate that I've had a lot of support in mentoring through strong mm-hmm. women Great. through the nutrition society and I think about my students coming through and again we uh, we have a large proportion of students in the nutrition field who are women it's it is interesting because that has not always been the profile of NSA 
Right. And perhaps not always been the profile where it's been the science underpinning nutrition. I think that there are opportunities for both men and women in the nutrition field. I don't see it as one or the other. Yeah. I think one of the really important things that we can do is advocate for equality and equity within any science discipline yeah. or any workplace that we're in. And I think as we understand, and you know, one of the benefits of COVID was actually understanding that people can work really effectively in a whole range of different environments. Yeah. And I think we also can see that people can job share, they can work part-time, they can work full-time, they can work more than full-time. There's so many different ways that people can bring their own knowledge and their passion to this discipline that I think it actually affords quite a lot of flexibility for people entering the workforce at different career stages and is is supportive of, of people being able to do that. That's really wonderful to hear. And I do think for women in the workforce, flexibility is is vital to keep them in the workforce if they are trying to do a lot of things like raising a family, for example. Yeah. And that's where I think nutrition's done a really good job um, other industries, oh, clearly politics hasn't done such a good job <laughs> in that area. Well, that's good to know. So for young women out there who are thinking about a career in nutrition, uh, it sounds like it's a good place to end up. Look, I think it is. And I think nutrition is also a discipline that can take you in so many different directions. Yeah. You can be working um, in government or for a not-for-profit organisation in or in a community organisation, you might decide that research is the area that you're passionate about and you come to academia or you want to teach. I mean, my role, I'm incredibly lucky because I get to wear so many different hats depending on the day. Um, and so my, my, my time is spent doing so many different things. And it does mean that if you find the piece that you are really passionate about, there are industries that are going to really value the knowledge that you bring. So if we think about food sectors or we think about um, organisations where they are working with people with a particular condition such as Diabetes Australia or the Heart Foundation, all of these organisations want to be able to communicate about good nutrition, how to incorporate foods into your diet in a way that's going to work for different cultures and different populations and think about access to food in so many different areas that I think it really does let you um, have broad opportunities to bring your nutrition knowledge into those workplaces. Yeah, one of the things I like about what you just said was that nutrition's about more than, um, you know, researching one particular component it's it's a there's a very broad um, social side to nutrition including as you said access to food and you know it has to be practical you can't tell someone to go and cook a you know lobster thermidor (laughs) you know if all they have access to is tin tuna you know it has to be exactly yeah practical and um, realistic that's right. And, and you know, I think that at the end of the day, every one of us experiences eating in some form yeah. or the other. Yeah, yeah, that's we're, true. We're all going to have our own piece of knowledge about what has worked for us, what we like, what we don't like, why we do or don't like it, what's familiar. 
And so we have to be culturally sensitive to that whenever we are providing advice um, and, and to think about the impact that it has on that person, their broader yes. world as well. So it it's, as you said, it's a lot more than looking at that physiological mechanism, mm. but each one of us, I suppose, come to this big circle of the nutrition world and we're approaching it with slightly different lens. Yeah. Um, and for me, I, I love the physiology that's behind the way that nutrients work and foods work in the body. And that is the piece that I get really excited about. And so when I'm trying to teach about nutrition or we do research projects in nutrition, for me, it comes back to the mechanism and understanding what it is that these nutrients are doing in the body. Yeah. But that's probably no great surprise because that's where my training was from the beginning. And it is fascinating because it's so complex, isn't it? There's yeah. so much going on inside our bodies. And that's actually a really good place to start talking about one of your recent um, scientific projects, which is you and your team are working on studies involving health outcomes of nut consumption in adults. So let's talk about the humble nut. Before we dive into what your research is actually looking at, let's just set the scene. And Alison, in a scientific sense, what are nuts? So if we are talking botanically, then nuts are uh, a composite of a seed and a dry fruit that's found inside a hard outer shell. That is a biological definition, if you mm -hmm. like. So um, for those of you who might be in uh, parts of Australia where you have the pleasure of seeing nuts grow on trees, um, such as we are in Adelaide, we have the Wollonga region, which is the, the home of where almonds oh, were nice. grown originally in Australia. If you're walking around at the moment, then you'll see that the almonds are ready to be harvested or that's already started up in the Riverland. And what you're seeing is this green, like it almost looks like um, an unripe fruit. Yes. And that is essentially the fruit layer that goes around this, this hard outer shell. And once we crack into that, then you've got the seed inside. And I mean, so... Things like an almond technically are a seed, but we talk about them within the nut category. Mm, and mm. things like a peanut, which is technically a legume, it grows in the ground, but it has a nutritional profile that is much closer to a tree nut than it does for other types of legumes that don't right. have the same oil content. Oh, that's so interesting. I think it, it can be a confusing world, but basically uh, they are technically this seed component that's within this hard outer shell with a fruit layer around yeah. it. Does but, it, you know, things like an almond, people don't consume that fruit layer. Yeah, that's what I was just about to yeah. ask. Is it is it because it doesn't taste good or it's is it poisonous or is there a reason why we don't consume it? I think it's where the qual the kind of the nutritional quality is in that mm -hmm. seed component. You've got um, the the rich oil component yeah. and the fruit component. So if I think about, I don't I don't know a lot about this space, but um, I've had the pleasure of going to a couple of almond orchards to see the harvesting process. Yeah. And my understanding is that traditionally the fruit will drop to the ground, it will dry out on the ground, and that kind of fruit layer opens up to expose the okay. shell. 
Um, and often that kind of green fruit layer then gets incorporated back into the soil right. so that it is enriching the soil where the, the trees are grown. Mm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. In mm. other parts, um, I think almonds are, uh, in some cultures are actually consumed in the green state still, but they have it, the inner seed has m- more like a jelly like consistency at that point rather than it being what we would think of that's right and and I think in some cultures that's actually still a delicacy um but that is that is definitely not the part of research that I have been involved in sure sure and keeping with the general um outline of nuts what do we know about the health benefits of nuts like why would it be worth studying nuts so I mean they've been part of uh many ancient diets so when we go back and we look at traditional mediterranean diets the nuts have had a long history of being incorporated in australia we have the macadamia nut Mm. as um, a nut that is indigenous to australia and that's had a really important cultural role as well so they they do provide a lot of energy and they are a food that can be stored easily. I would also argue that they taste pretty good. So I think I think within traditional diets, they they are very much a staple. Yeah. And if we look at different regions of the world where nuts have traditionally been grown, then we do see that um, they are a staple in many many cultures so whether it is um looking in perhaps indian cuisine or south american cuisine if we were talking about uh different forms of either tree nuts or peanuts then we do see that in some of the foods that would be very culturally traditional nuts have a really important role yeah yeah well i i agree with you they are delicious so what is it about nuts then that make them healthy? What is the nutritional profile of it? So when we break them down and the way I talk about them is to think about the fat content in a nut. And because they are a plant-derived food, they're really rich in the healthy types of fat. So these are our unsaturated yep. fat, um, they're rich in monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fat. And it does depend on which particular tree nut or peanut we're talking about. But as a group, they have a similar fat profile. Um, In Australia, we grow a particular variety um, of peanuts that are the high allaic variety. So they have a high monounsaturated content. Yeah. So they actually have a profile that's similar to olive oil. Oh, right. Whereas um, if we are talking... Yeah, whereas um, the walnuts are the one tree nut variety that contains some omega-3 polyunsaturated fats. The majority only have a small amount, um, but walnuts contain one of the short-chain omega-3s. That's mm. so essential. It's, it's one of the dietary fats that we should be having in our yes. diet, um, and it's a good source of that. Yeah. One thing I I remember So that's saying, just the fact... Sorry, I was just going to jump in and talk about the humble walnut. Someone said to me once that because they do have the omega-3 content that we know that that's good for our brain and they look a bit like a brain. Mm. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. They do. And, you know, there are, no, 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 but that's a really good point because there are lots of foods, if we think about it, 
where we think about where we see the, the health benefits that are associated with what they look like in terms mm. of body organs. And walnuts have been used in research to look at cognitive benefits. Uh, there's only a, there's, This is still a very growing area of research, yeah. but there have been a couple of studies done with walnuts um, and they've found improvements in cognitive performance of university students when walnuts are consumed. Um, but what I was going to add to is not just the fat quality yeah. of nuts that are good, they're also a really good source of protein. And so the people that are looking for um, non-animal sources of protein, nuts are a really good component yeah. to add into your diet, obviously, if you're not allergic to them, mm. um, because you are getting good protein and you're getting good fat. But I suppose when we've looked at nuts, we're looking at those components, but we're also looking at the mineral profile. They are naturally low in sodium, high in potassium. So that's great in terms of blood pressure regulation. And they have their profile is also really good at helping people with diabetes manage their glucose control. And we are also interested in what we call bioactive components within nuts. So if I give you the example of you think about the humble peanut and you've got that red papery shell mm -hmm. that's around the peanut. So that red papery shell is really rich in a component called a polyphenol. So we think about polyphenols when we're thinking dark chocolate or yeah, red wine fruit. and it's in fruits. Very. Yep. And just all kinds of different types of polyphenols. But the one that is in peanuts, we've done work looking at their ability to change how uh, your blood vessels are able to dilate. Oh, right. Yeah, so that, that's kind of where our research has started in this space. And this area has developed in a number of different foods that have polyphenols. Um, but back in the day, people were feeding the peanut uh, papery skins mm -hmm. and shells in animal feed. And oh, they were really? finding that they were getting a whole range of health benefits in the animals. And they suddenly went, huh, maybe there's something in this. So um, it's been a fascinating journey to look at the way that polyphenols can improve multiple aspects of health, uh, including cognition. I'm hearing lots of good things about nuts, which lots is lucky of good because things. I love nuts. Yep. My kids often complain, oh, there's nothing to eat. We only have nuts. <laughs> well, eat nuts. Lucky, lucky them. <laughs> so if we talk then about your current study, um, you're looking at the health outcomes on of nut consumption. So can you talk to us a little bit about if there's a particular nut you're looking at, um, how are you conducting the study, how are you recruiting people, that kind of thing? Just sure. Um, yeah, so the study that we're running at the moment um, is one that's funded by the Almond Board of California. So we are working with almonds currently and we are running a weight loss intervention where oh, everybody, yeah, yeah, so everyone who comes into the study will be on an energy-restricted diet and half of the people will have almonds as a snack food and half of the people will follow a nut-free diet. Right. And we're interested in when you are losing weight, we know that one of the struggles can be with appetite regulation yeah. um, as well as uh, making sure you're feeling satiated and, and nuts have that high protein content, so they're actually really good at that. Mm -hmm. So we're interested in nuts as a whole and the benefits they have in terms of weight loss, helping with appetite control, 
but also because we are um, helping people lose weight, then we're looking at what happens in our body fat stores, in different organs that can also store fat as people put on weight. So we're looking at liver regulation. We're looking at what happens in the gut microbiome. Um, one of the areas that nuts are particularly good is in cholesterol management. Right. And so we're looking at what happens in terms of lipids in the body, um, both good and bad cholesterol. Goodness me, we are, there's, we're very lucky in this study that we are able to explore a number of different mechanisms. We've got lots of different students have got projects tied into this. So right. we get, we, we've got a really great team that's enabling us to look at so many different components. And how many people are in this study? How many subjects? So in this particular study, we have just over 130 people oh, in the study. Mm. And our last person did their baseline testing yesterday. Right. So wow. this means we are nine months away from the last person finishing data collection. Oh, so wow. it will still take us a while to analyse all all the information once we finish our data collection. But this has been uh, an ongoing project for a couple of years. And in the middle of COVID, it's quite challenging to run a dietary intervention and a clinical trial. So we're, we're delighted that we're at this point. Um, we've got, uh, so there's people from the community in Adelaide who have volunteered their time to come and be part of this. They get quite a lot of support from our study dietitians. So they, they talk with the dietitian every two weeks during the first three-month mm-hmm. phase where they're undergoing weight loss and then we keep them in the study for an additional six months where we help them maintain their weight loss well that's so, excellent mm. yeah. because that's one of the problems isn't it that i mean sticking to a diet per se is you know if you've got the right support can be done it's once that's finished that it's it's tricky you know afterwards That's right. And what we're really focusing on is education around the principles that people have been taught during their weight loss phase, Mm -hmm. around energy regulation, around triggers for consumption of food, what to do when you're faced with um, social situations where it's easy to overconsume, how to help manage that, and really trying to build people's um, kind of confidence in their own ability to manage their food intake. And one thing that springs to mind that I think is quite interesting, so you're using almonds in a weight loss study, but as we've said before, um, nuts do have quite high levels of fats, although Mm. they're good fats. Has there been any kind of resistance, like, oh, I don't want to eat nuts because they're, in quotes, fattening? Or I think this is where our study dietitians are really important. Yeah. So because everybody is on an energy-restricted diet, which is important in terms of uh, weight loss. We, yeah. we want people to help them reduce their um, the overall body mass. Then we talk about the importance of this component of the diet and the quality of the nutrients that are being provided. So there is this perception that nuts, nuts are fattening because of their high fat content. But what we actually find in research is that when people do consume nuts regularly in their diet, they actually do better in terms of weight management. Studies um, where they look at big populations who consume nuts have tend to have a healthier profile of their, their body mass. 
And when nuts are incorporated into weight loss diets, they've actually found that um, people do well. Yeah, that's really good to know. And I think, as you say, working with the dietitian to really understand that is important so people don't have a mental block, you know, yeah. a concern about eating nuts. And I, I think it's also important to think about portion size. Yeah. And so they are a food that is delicious. We, we've gone over that, that it is thinking about what is a sensible quantity to eat. And so yeah. within Australia, a serve is considered 30 grams or it's about the amount that fits in the palm of your hand. So in almonds, the, the most of the almonds that you'll find within the supermarket, it's about 28 to 30 almonds is a serve. Yes. In, in our study, we are working with everybody starting on a different amount of energy and energy that therefore has to be restricted. And so we work with a percent energy rather than an absolute amount across the board so that we are tailoring the, the needs for an individual. Right. So based on that, you'll work out how many almonds that, That's right. that individual can have. That's um, right. So in, in talking about nuts and eating them as a snack, can you give us some tips on the healthiest way to consume nuts? Because we're talking about nuts in their natural state, but you can, if you go into the supermarket, you can buy nuts that have been fried in oil. They've got weird coatings on them and all sorts of things. So I think the way you eat nuts is important in terms of eating them to get health benefits. So how should we consume nuts? What's the best, healthiest way to yeah. eat and, and so we certainly are working with nuts in their whole natural form. I think one of the challenges can be when they are salted, that the salt taste wants us, makes us go back. And as I was saying earlier, they are naturally low in sodium. So for some people, that can take a little bit of time for them to get used to that uh, lack of salty taste. Yeah. But one of the things we encourage is um, to think about spice rather than salt. So you can add something like um, chili or turmeric or yeah. uh, cumin. So there are ways that you can add additional flavors without changing the sodium profile. Some people will want to chop them up, some people want to pop them in smoothies. In the study, we don't encourage that because we know that the availability of nutrients changes when something is cut into multiple fine forms as opposed to the whole food. And for the study, it's really important that we have consistency. But if I'm talking at a general population yeah. level, I'd say, you know what, they're a great food. Think about ways you can incorporate them. And if for you it works better to have them in a smoothie and you're getting the good nutrition from it, then do it. Yeah, yeah. What I think people can struggle is, like you said, when it's perhaps chocolate-coated or coated <laughs> with a very uh, sodium-rich coating. And, again, in moderation, everything has its place. But I would say it's very easy to overconsume a lot of energy and people not necessarily stopping and thinking about the additional energy or sodium that they're getting in those forms. Yeah, so it's definitely better to eat nuts in their natural state. If you can. Yeah. Look, and people often ask about roasting, and we would say when nuts are heated, they do undergo a change in the availability of their nutrients, and some nutrients become impacted negatively yeah. at high temperatures. So particularly uh, B-group vitamins, we 
no, don't love high temperatures, and, and that's true of any food. So if they were going to roast them low and for short amounts of time, so yeah. 100, 150 degrees, no more than 10 minutes. Mm, and, I mean, roasting them can just give them, you know, I guess there's some variety there, isn't it? It's just a different mouth sensation. They're a That's bit right. And yep. taste a bit different. So yeah. I guess doing a bit of both is probably good. That's right. And I mean, for me, if I'm if I'm uh, wanting something that's slightly different than just the natural form, I'll often add fresh rosemary and mm. sometimes a bit of honey if I'm wanting to change it up a little bit. Um low roasting but really it's a spice world that I tend to go to yeah um, and sometimes a combination of all of them there are some great recipes I've come across in my Indian cookbooks mm. of, you know spicing up nuts like as you su- suggested with cumin and things like that turmeric mm. yeah and it's a great way that you're also getting the additional health benefits that come from those spices yeah, so it's a win-win yes, yeah indeed uh, do you have a favorite nut it depends a bit on the day and yeah. it depends on the recipe that I'm working with. So at home, we tend to go for the jar of mixed nuts um, and that way I get variety and I, I like that. But again, if I'm cooking with them, it might be that I'm doing a salad where I've got, you know, goat's cheese and beetroot, then low roasted walnuts, walnuts work yeah. really well there where there are other recipes where I might be doing a chicken salad with mandarin and I'll add almonds to that. But if I'm just snacking on them, usually I go for a, a mixed, a yeah. mixed variety. Yeah, I love all nuts. I, I don't yeah. think I could pick a favourite. No. Um, so, can you give us some fun facts about some different nuts? So, you know, one of the ones that I think is fascinating is the Brazil nut, yes. and it is so high in selenium. So, this mm. is a mineral that's really important for our health and in Australia many of our soils are deficient or very low in selenium but it only takes two well uh, two brazil nuts and you you've got all the selenium that you need so yeah. i find that fascinating that it is so packed with this this mineral so that's one of the ones i like um what else is exciting as i was saying before the walnut is one that is rich in um, the the plant form of omega threes. Mm-hmm. The macadamia nut um, does have a higher saturated fat content than other nuts, but it's all relative. They're really low in saturated fat. Um, but perhaps when you taste either a macadamia nut or a cashew nut, you notice that there's that slight difference in texture compared with some of the harder nuts. Yes. So and it is that saturated fat that's coming through that's changing the texture. They are delicious. They I love are them. delicious. But as I said, um, that the humble peanut is one that I think is probably underrated. It's a food that is really important in many developing countries as a stable yes, source of is. protein. And there are so many health benefits that come with it. In many societies, it has been a real focus on avoiding peanuts because of the increase in allergies within community. And obviously, populations need to be very sensitive to that. Yeah. But I think that if you don't have an allergy, a peanut's a very affordable way to be getting good protein, to getting good fibre. And if you can enjoy the taste with the red skins on them, then you're actually getting a lot of heart health benefits as well. Oh, well, that's great advice. I've 
luckily for me, I like the the red skin, so I buy them that way. Yeah, you have to go to a special nut shop because you can't always find them in the. They can be tricky, and mm. and again, if you were going to make something like your own peanut butter including those red skins if you are going to blend up the peanuts it actually changes the um the taste quite a lot it's got that little bit of bitterness in it so you do need to make sure you're balancing that um and the roasting can also change the profile and the taste so sometimes the roasted with the red skins on is a easier way to be approaching that form of peanut Mm. well you mentioned peanut butter and i'm a huge fan (laughs) Not all peanut butters are created equal. We do know that. not. Yeah. Um, so can you give us some advice on if you're someone's buying peanut butter, what to look for and what to try and avoid? Yeah. So it's been the same as when you're walking around the supermarket, spending that little bit of time looking at the label mm-hmm. is, is important. And uh, my husband laughs at me because I spend a silly amount of time in the supermarket reading labels and so looking at I. new products. <laughs> yeah, he... he he won't do this. Anyway, um, I think it's important to look at the added sodium and the added sugar that's added to peanut butter. And, you know, peanut butter is typically kept in the pantry. It's got a long shelf life to it. And some of these components do add to the shelf stability of it. You can get some amazing peanut butters uh, from, from Australia and from overseas. But I would say look for ones that are lower in sodium content and ones that are lower in sugar content. And sometimes it can take a little bit of time for your taste buds to adapt, particularly if you've been brought up on perhaps the higher sugar and higher salt peanut butters. But stick with it. It's like anything, our flavour profile will adapt over time. You just have to keep coming back and trying it before that becomes normal for you. And there are some excellent peanut butters uh, in the supermarket that are really just, they're just peanuts. That's right. Nothing else. Yep. That my yep. favourite brand is one called Pix. I haven't come across that. I will go and do a hunt. It's just peanuts. It, Wonderful. Yeah, really yeah. good. So, Alison, um, we should probably start wrapping up our conversation, although I, I could speak about nuts all day. <laughs> so if you were cooking a, a special dinner, like a celebration, for example, for friends or family... What would you cook? Well, we've had um, we've had a bit of fun over summer. We have just installed a pizza oven at oh, our nice. house, and this has been a labour of love of <laughs> our family in building it from scratch. So uh, we had a a test run just before New Year's Eve, so that we made sure it was going to work. And what I really enjoy about having people over for that kind of meal is people are involved in the whole production line in producing that food. And I think it helps people understand the importance of good quality ingredients. It's really bonding when you're all going in and thinking about what do you want on your pizza and how's yours going to turn out compared to the other people that are there. Um, It gets it right back to core ingredients. And for me, that's where you're enjoying food it's about being connected with your friends and family it's about the quality of the ingredients and it was just the joy that came from something as simple as we've got this amazing wood oven now what are we going to how are we going to experiment and looking at what happens when you mix the recipe or you 
add, you know, what, if you put lots of topping on compared to hardly any topping, what does it do? So, you know, that's it's not a fancy food at all, but it's a way that comes from engaging in food and um, creating together. Well, that sounds like lots of fun. I wonder if, did you have an experience where you looked at someone else's pizza and thought, oh, I wish I'd put that on my pizza? Definitely. Definitely pizza envy <laughs> going envy. on. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. it's good because then we all learn from each other and um, New Year's Eve, everyone bought ingredients so we could try different things and it was fantastic. Well, that sounds great. And uh, that would be fun because I like salty things like I would put olives and anchovies on my pizza but my husband hates those so it's <laughs> great both yep. be happy that's exactly right and everyone kind of got their own way to create what they wanted mm. yeah and Alison who or what inspires you this is a tricky question so because I, I think about so many different elements of my my life and the role that I have here at uni and I think in a nutrition world, I, I think about what we're taught and the people that have influenced the development of nutrition science. In Australia, you know, we, we think we've got dietary guidelines and people will be used to seeing perhaps the picture of the dinner plate and you know, we've got our Australian Guide to Healthy Eating. But it's within my lifetime that this has been developed and prior to that, we had uh, the food pyramid. And I think about the people that have been involved in the development of these and the education of public around this. And one of the people that was a very early mentor to me uh, wasn't at CSIRO. Her name was um, Katrine Baghurst. And she was absolutely inspirational and had such an important role in developing what we now know as the nutrition, uh, the nutrient reference values oh, right. and understanding how much of a particular nutrient we should be having in our diet and the modelling that goes on to then take it from this is how much of a nutrient we should have. So what does that look like in terms of foods? So she she has been absolutely incredible. Um there are so many mentors that I've worked with throughout the Nutrition Society. I think back to being a very new researcher as an honours student and the support that I've had um, have really, really shaped what I want to do while I'm being, you know, have the opportunity to lead the society. But I also then can flip it around and think about when I'm teaching students and that moment when you see the light bulb yeah. kind of switch on in the students. And that's that's why I love that part of my job as well. So I'm really lucky. I, I like the teaching. I like the research and um, being able to lead our research centre in this space. So I don't know. There, there are so many different elements yeah. that I think are inspiring. Well, that's wonderful. There are You've got a lot of sources of inspiration, so that's great. And uh, my final question, Alison, that I like to ask all of my guests, if you could recommend two things, they don't have to be nutrition-related, they could be anything at all, that people could do to improve their well-being, what would they be? I think spend your time doing things that you love. And I know that I'm in a very privileged world where I do get to do that in my job, but I also do take time out and I make sure that I spend time with family and friends and my dogs who are very important in my world. Same here. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, and I think it's also 
taking the time to value yourself and to be okay with taking time out. So whether that is focusing on sleep, whether it's focusing on physical activity or the foods that you eat, making sure you prioritise you, at least for some of the time in, in the you know busy worlds that we lead, because at the end of the day, we get one shot at this. Yeah, good advice. And I think the last point you made is particularly important for women. That's right. Yeah. We, we try and be all things to all people sometimes. Yes. And just remembering that you actually are the one that you've got to look after. Exactly. That's very good advice. So if people, Alison, would like to follow what you're doing in the research space or the NSA, what are some ways they can do that? Sure. So with the Nutrition Society of Australia, our website is nsa.asn.au. And there's lots of great information on the website about different paths that people can take to become a nutritionist. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're keen to look into the registration side of NSA um, or to hear more about the events that we run. Um, There are webinars throughout the year. We have local events both um, in different states as well as the the annual scientific meeting. So we, we do try and share information quite frequently about that. On social media, um, I'm not as good as some on social media, but if they want to follow me, I'm at Alison Coates one And if people want to look us up at UniSA, then I run the research centre called ARENA. We are the Alliance for Research and Exercise, Nutrition and Activity. Again, we run a whole host of public events um, that are focused on those three elements. Um, we have research projects, we have opportunities for people to come and do um, high degree research training with us or to be volunteers in the research projects that we run. Oh, excellent. Well, I'll put links to all of that in the show notes. Oh, lovely. Thank you. And Alison, thank you so much for coming and talking to me today on Vibrant Lives podcast. It was a real pleasure to talk to you and especially to learn more about nuts. Oh, thanks very much for your time. And that was Professor Alison Coates talking about working in the world of nutrition and the health benefits of nuts. Thank you for listening today and I do hope you found my discussion with Alison interesting or inspiring. I was certainly inspired to be speaking to a woman who clearly loves what she is doing. If you did enjoy today's podcast, please share it and tell your friends about it. And if you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it'll help people find my podcast. If you would like to subscribe to Vibrant Lives podcast, you can subscribe on all good podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, iHeartRadio and Google Podcasts, just to name a few. And you can also subscribe on YouTube. Please follow me on Instagram at vibrant underscore lives underscore podcast. You can also follow me on Facebook or check out my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com. Please either DM me or contact me via the contacts page on my website if you would like to suggest someone you'd like me to interview or a topic that you'd like me to discuss in my 5-Minute Food Facts series. Producing the podcast is a labour of love. It has turned into a full-time job for me, so it takes up a lot of time, energy and money. If you enjoy my podcast and would like to support it, I would be so grateful. You can make contributions by my website on the donate page 
or you can support my podcast by purchasing a book from the book reviews page on my website. If you click the Amazon link there and buy a book, at no extra cost to you, I will receive a small commission. So thank you very much if you do choose to do that. Thank you for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.